Raymond. I'm Zara, and we're from the Multifaith Chaplaincy at Bates College. The Multifaith Chaplaincy is for people of all backgrounds and perspectives who come together to explore identity, meaning, and belonging. We value curiosity and create spaces for conversation, contemplation, and connection. We've named our podcast Buen Camino, or Good Journey in Spanish, because we'll be talking to people from the Bates community about their personal stories, the paths they've taken, and where they found meaning along the way. Our guest today is Tom Twist, Sustainability Manager at Bates. Tom works to provide Bates faculty, staff, and students with the tools needed to reduce our environmental footprint by conserving energy, promoting renewable energy, alternative transportation, recycling, and green procurement. Tom sat down with multi-faith fellows Alexis Hughes and Sarah Marotti to discuss finding his way from scooping ice cream to a career in sustainability. Wait, can I clear my throat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait, that's a great idea. <coughs> Okay. Um, okay. I'm Hi. Alexis. Hi. Hi, I'm Sarah. Thanks for being with us, Tom. Uh, you're welcome. And we're going to get started. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here. Um, so tell us a little bit about where you were born. What was it like growing up for you? Yeah, so I had a pretty, um, like, perfect, idyllic childhood. Uh, I was born in uh, Buffalo, New York, and I was the earliest in this huge family, I was the earliest grandkid. So um, basically I was treated like the golden child and doted over and that sort of thing for most of my young life. So it was, it was nice, it was pretty Fav- sweet. Favorite grandchild for sure. Yeah, uh, probably still <laughs> the favorite grandchild. Yeah. What was the neighborhood like? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. It was like, um, it was an old suburb. So it has, had a lot of like old trees and that sort of thing and mm. sort of bands of kids just roving around. Buffalo is kind of a post-industrial city. They had a lot of steel making, which uh, my grandfather used to work for. And um, that industry left. And the town is still, to some extent, struggling with what what's sort of the next step and what sort of identity they want are looking for next. So, um, We're going to borrow a question from On Being, and that is, did you have a particular religious or spiritual upbringing in your childhood? Yeah, so uh, I was super uh, Catholic um, and Uh-oh. went to Catholic school until I was 19, um, so including part of college. So my whole family uh, was Catholic. So half my family is uh, Italian Catholic, half is the Irish Catholic side, and uh, both very prolific um, <laughs> folks. In So the Catholic upbringing I got from my family, I felt like was was great occasionally in school it felt like a little like on the heavy-handed side uh you'd get every now and then a teacher that sort of would give you the impression that like every bodily impulse was uh evil but apart from that it was like very pleasant so my first college that i went to canisius college was a jesuit college okay and did you transfer from there yeah i transferred to syracuse university okay what was the motivation behind that it was mostly uh College felt just like my high school. In fact, I put almost no thought, maybe this is an important thing. <laughs> I can't tell if this is like a good thing to uh, tell Bates students or not, but like I put almost no thought into what college I went to initially. Yeah. I pretty much just, it was a college in my hometown and I just basically went where my friends went. Mm-hmm. Wow. That turns out to be kind of a dumb idea. And I realized that at the end of my sophomore year when I transferred to a bigger university. So, yeah, it was the same as my high school. It was like the same lunch table even. Oh, my God. Um, And so (laughs) I was sort of yearning for new ideas and, like, broader horizons and just 
uh, like a different perspective, a changed perspective coming out of college. Yeah. So uh, I transferred and it was it was a great move. For you, that move was to bigger city or to bigger university. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But that wasn't the whole thing. It was at Syracuse. There were folks from outside of Western New York. <laughs> <laughs> I was meeting people with just different perspectives on life and, and that felt great. Super refreshing. Awesome. What were you studying in Syracuse? What was your major? Was it different from yeah. the other school? Yeah, it was super different. So I am someone who like the obvious answer of what to do with my life did not come very quickly. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm always jealous of folks that at age six know. I'm going to be a dentist. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, I almost lapsed into You'll be a dentist. <laughs> From Rocky, or no, that's not Rocky Horror. That's uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, yeah, so like some people just seem sort of born knowing what they want to do. That was not the case for me, nor did I get any clear signs from my heart actually what I wanted to do. It was more like trial and error. And I would get these vague impressions of what I didn't want to do kind of after trying it, mm -hmm. which is a pretty like roundabout, circuitous way to go about things. So originally my major was business. And then it was English. And then when I went to Syracuse, it was environmental biology. Cool. And that's what yeah. I graduated with. Yeah. I feel like that's pretty average, though. Like, people tend to, to move around. around. Yeah. yeah. But that, those are just very interesting and very different transitions yeah. that you're making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got a lot of feedback on that to that, that same extent when I was actually making those transitions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like that was a big switch. Do you think that who you were as a person in high school and maybe those first two years at college is really similar or different to who you were at Syracuse and now? And how do, how do you feel like you've changed in all of those transitions? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's a hard thing to answer because I've been watching a bunch of little documentaries about how completely unreliable memory is, mm. uh, which is interesting. So the way I see it now, I was... I had mostly the same personality as I did when I was in high school, but I think I'm just, I think two major differences are, um, I feel braver for mm -hmm. just having done stuff like that. So yeah. just taking a lot more risks with what's not necessarily like status quo type life. And also I feel more hopeful now than I did when I was in high school for a variety of reasons. I think I, sort of came into life with the sort of personality that takes a lot of like things just sort of sitting down. And when confronted with a problem early on in my life, I would, I would just sort of immediately give up and think like, oh, this is too big. Never mind. I'm just going to like do whatever. And well, part of it, I think, is just you're sort of like born with whatever personality you're born with to some extent. And uh, the other piece is my father passed away in high school via uh, cancer. And watching a pretty strong, robust individual pass away in that manner made me think, like, what's the point? And if, if things end like this, then what's worth doing? And I think that was my major sort of affliction. And I wasn't super self-aware at that time in my life and didn't actually really know that. I was depressed about stuff, obviously, by my um, mentioned worldview. And it took me kind of a long time to come out of that. And there wasn't any particular silver bullet or anything like that sort of jarred me out. It was mostly a realization that whatever I was doing at the time just really was not working. Hmm. And I needed to like sort of come back to the land of the living and start participating in my life 
again. It very much felt like the concept of pulling one's, oneself up by their bootstraps. It actually felt like lifting yourself off the ground by pulling on your shoelaces. Like that's the difficulty level that it felt to sort of like climb back out. But at some point, gradually, I just stopped, I don't know, feeling like things started to, to seem like they were they were worth doing again. And it was a really long, years-long sort of gradual process. And, uh, yeah, it's nice to be back. We do a good job of, like, hiding people from death, I think, and a lot of parts of life. And I would credit a relatively good path that I'm on now to that happening. Yeah. So even though, you know, it was it was hard to see, it made me ask questions that I would have never asked otherwise, like, how precious time is and what do I really want to do with myself? I don't want to, you know, work at a job that I hate for 50 weeks out of the year just to get two weeks of vacation. So it was both wonderful and terrible <laughs> all at the same time. So. Yeah, well, you are where you need to be now. So. Yeah. Yeah. a little bit after college, post-grad. I yeah. mean, Alexis and I are seniors. Who knows where we're going to end up? It's horrifying. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your experience. What was that like for you? Yeah, so actually the um, probably the most lost I've ever felt in my life was the year after I graduated college. It Good. was kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> I went through kind of a ridiculous time where... I had no plans. I took a summer job that was vaguely related to my field after college and then quickly moved back to my mom's house and started working the same job that I had in college, which was at like a 1950s style ice cream parlor, which is not, I think, what most parents are hoping their children will do right after college. It's fair. And so it was basically me who had graduated college and a bunch of like 18 to 19 year olds that were like very peppy and happy to be there. And I was just the most jaded ice cream oh, slinger. No. <laughs> so like five o'clock shadow, like I didn't smoke, but imagine like a cigarette kind of hanging off my lips. You know, do you want a chocolate milkshake or a vanilla milkshake? That's sort of, <laughs> And it was pretty, I didn't, I just did not know what I was going to do with myself. So yeah, I kind of just took a leap and decided to just travel around the states with no real intention or anything like that of where I would end up. And then it ended up being really great. It felt really scary to do, and yet it was wonderful. It showed me I could just move to any city I wanted to, sort of rely on myself, get a job and an apartment on my own, and, and kind of make it. And that felt really good. So that's, so that's what I did right after college. Nice. Yep. Aimless, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Give me ice cream with whipped cream. cream. You actually lived in a Buddhist monastery at some point. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. After a little bit of aimlessness, I did get a job in my field, which was uh, infecting innocent mice with E. coli. Oh, no. uh, (laughs) That's not nice. That was not nice. So ostensibly, it was uh, sequencing the E. coli, parts of the E. coli genome that have a pathogenic part to them. So E. coli is great, lives in your gut pretty happily, but sometimes it also causes infection. And there's a difference between those sort of pathogenic ones and the benign ones. So that was ostensibly what I was supposed to be doing. But really in practice, 
it involved just making little mice sick uh, in a windowless lab. So I was... Sounds uplifting. It was pretty uplifting. (laughs) And my heart goes out to all college graduates. You know, entry-level jobs can be soul-sucking. And so it's just nice to remember that, that that's not always the end-all and be-all. When I... When I was looking for jobs, I remember just thinking, oh my God, like here's the field I graduated and really are these my only options? So I was sort of in the midst of looking for a different job, supposed to be looking for a different job, but thought it might be nice to do like a yoga retreat or a meditation retreat or something like that. So I literally just Googled Buddhist monasteries in New York and the first one that popped up, I contacted (laughs) and... um, I went for a visit. I really liked it. And I ended up um, staying for a month and then staying for a whole year. Whoa. And it was fantastic. It was like, hands down, the best thing I've ever done. Wow. So did you go in with an intention or are you just... No. I don't know if the, I don't know if the pattern is clear here. That I, I <laughs> You're just kind of aimless. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I was interested in it and I felt like... I definitely needed to kind of correct whatever direction I was heading in. So my when my father passed away, one of the reasons I was I felt so like depressed or jaded or whatever was that I saw very clearly like aggregating stuff doesn't work, right? You die and like the phrases you can't take it with you, and you can't take stuff with you, money, friends, possessions, nice clothes, experiences, like nothing. And so I didn't quite know how to hold that in my head. Because when I looked around, all I saw anyone doing was aggregating stuff, mm. just acquiring, you know. And I didn't know how to, like, live in the world without what, what's my option, basically. Down with capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but even more, I feel like it was even more, like, fundamental than that. It was like, you can be non-capitalist, but, like, I'm going to go travel the world and kind of, like, acquire like experiences, you know, like, yeah. So I was really like in a pickle and I didn't quite know how to live in a way that seemed to be worth it. So going to the monastery was really great. And um, I think I'm a much more like hopeful and like engaged person for having done it. And yeah, I don't know how to talk about it unless you have specific questions. (laughs) I'm just, I'm so curious about like what the day to day of that. Yeah experience was I can't even picture yeah it was it's kind of such a big experience it's helpful to, for me to like break it down so yeah the deal with this monastery was I was incredibly lucky to land there because I've been to like a lot of yoga retreats and things like that and have encountered people that I felt like the whole place was kind of like that fake peaceful vibe tons of incense burning and like people saying like <laughs> namaste at me in every direction and it just didn't feel real and so luckily I landed in a place that was super grounded and very real and also very challenging to live there meaning is just hard uh the schedule is hard and also like looking at yourself day in and day out is hard to do so um there are actual monks there and you would essentially live the same schedule as the monks. So like wake up, this is the, this is the hard part for me because I'm yeah. not a morning person. So yeah. like wake up at like three or four in the morning. Oh my, oh my God. God. I know. I was like a living zombie. I am a morning person <laughs> and that, that's way beyond me. Yeah, it was really rough. I just, yeah, I'm not a morning person. And then a uh, block of meditating for maybe two or three hours, breakfast. We would do like work practice in silence. So you could sort of pay attention to what you're doing. And then uh, the rest of the day was meals and lunch and then another block of uh, meditation in the evening. And then once a month, they would actually have a whole week of just meditating. 
And that was the hardest thing by far that I've ever done. Before I started meditating, I had this idea of like, what is Tom Twist actually like? You know, <laughs> and it was pretty rosy. And But when you actually get into the nitty gritty of things, you're like, oh man, I am just an aggregate of a bunch of old programs that keep spinning. <laughs> um, it felt difficult, but it also felt like unburdening yourself and like letting down a lot of baggage yeah. um, that I have been carrying around for like absolutely no reason. Yeah, so. for sure. You mentioned like work practice. Yeah. What, what does that mean? Yeah, sorry. I know when you put those two words together, it sounds hokey. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the main uh, thrust of certainly like beginning meditation is just mindfulness. So mm -hmm. just seeing like what's going on and actually not trying to change anything about yourself. Yeah. So I have to actually, that's something that I kind of have to watch because I am like a major self-improver type. And I love to think I'm not good enough and I need to like do X, Y, and Z to get better. So I'm constantly trying to like get better and better and better, which actually works for my job, my current job pretty well. Yeah. Um, one of the, the things that's completely radical, I think, about meditation is that you're seeing things and how you are, thoughts or whatever, and you're not trying to grasp after the thoughts and you're not trying to push them away. And when you start to meditate, for a long time, you see that like grasping at stuff and running away from stuff is all I've been doing from the cradle. And it seems like such a simple thing, but it's it's really like a radical departure from how most of us kind of live our life. So getting back to your question, the work practice thing yeah. is an extension of meditation, but you're like actually, you're not just like sitting on a cushion, you're actually working slash meditating at the same time. So that part of the day, it's like something simple Mm -hmm. like chopping carrots or something like that so that you could you could actually bring like mindfulness to like a fairly simple task and do the same thing like notice what, where your brain goes and whatnot and then that's also done like in silence and then after lunch it's like something more complicated like being a registrar and like answering emails and things like that so it's like gradual levels of difficulty in terms of keeping present and watching what you're doing yeah so you at, at the very beginning, you were talking about how something you took with you was hope. Is yeah. there a practice, like a specific practice that you took that you still continue today? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, no. It <laughs> <laughs> Next question. No. Um, I mean, what was crazy about it was uh, the hope part of it was there. It was just layered up with stuff. So really, the the meditation part helped with just like unburning what was already, I, it had been covered up by a lot of stuff. And so as I dropped that away, it was just always there. So yeah, it wasn't a specific practice. It was just getting rid of stuff or like letting go of stuff that it was unnecessary. Have you continued the practice of meditation since you left the monastery? Yeah. Yeah. So I still will meditate in the morning and in the evening uh, each day. Sometimes the evening one goes out the window. Yeah. <laughs> Eco-rep meeting nights. Yeah, eco-rep meeting nights. It's the worst for meditation. <laughs> and I still will uh, return to that same monastery for those week long weekly meditation things. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Do you feel like you had to kind of go through this <laughs> meaningless ice cream job before you found one that was more purposeful? For me, yeah. Uh, for other people, I don't know. But... I, I think it was really good to sort of go searching for something. I don't know what I was doing with the ice cream job. <laughs> um, but like this, the searching part of it, for me, like ended up being very necessary. 
And I'm so glad I didn't stick with the job where I was just like killing myself all day. Um, it was just not me. And I could feel that, but I could also feel the practical side of my brain saying, well, this is known and this is good and you're getting a paycheck from this and this is in your field technically. So maybe you should just stick with this mm. instead of sort of listening to my heart, which was like, this is crazy. You're in a room with no windows and you're killing mice all day. It's you so should horrible. go look for something else. Yeah. So, you know, I think there is that tension with people searching. And I think I would say that tension is searching for something good and, and trying to find something that's real. But there's a balance. You, I also know people that feel like searching or sort of transient forever. And I think that's not good either. So somewhere in there, somewhere, you know, between the extremes of being incredibly practical to the point where you're sort of ignoring your internal workings and being just sort of flighty and doing whatever, somewhere in there, I think, is like a good balance of listening to your heart and doing something real. Going back to sort of the concept of hope or meaning, I guess, do you do you feel like you have a, a calling or passion in life right now? Yeah, yeah. So I think probably two major callings. One is the meditation piece and, and sort of clarifying my own head. Uh, and the other one is definitely sustainability. Yeah. And um, that piece is... That's um, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is my job. Yeah. And the two, I think, very much kind of help each other and, and in, inform each other. In what ways? Well, uh, as you probably know, uh, working in the environmental field can be uh, a depressing topic uh, these days. For sure. Absolutely. And so just having this sort of intestinal fortitude of returning to it and returning to it and returning to it and not giving up, uh, not giving up on yourself, but also not giving up on human nature that we could actually uh, turn this around. So I think that part comes from the strength of meditating and that sort of thing. Mm. And then just the sustainability piece is so fun. Yeah. Working with students uh, is wonderful. And just seeing that at a pretty large institution like Bates, fast, real change is definitely possible, um, is great and super hopeful. Yeah. Um, it's also, I feel like I chose sustainability just because it's necessary. Someone needs to do this stuff. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah. true. And that, that was part of it. I kept looking around and thinking, gosh, uh, someone should really do something about this. And thinking that over and over again and then be like, oh, I guess, I guess I'm doing this. It should be me. And I think that's a nice maybe message for like recent or future college grads is that if you're interested in something, just to stop waiting for someone better, smarter to come along and fix everything. It's you, yeah. you know, ultimately. Are there things outside of work that you do regularly? Yeah, so uh, I am kind of like a serial hobbyist. So in the back of my head, I kind of want to be a little bit good at everything, Yeah, which I know is an unattainable goal, but that's another thing that really works well for the job because the job is wildly varied. But outside of work, yeah, I do all sorts of stuff. So anything outdoorsy that you could think of, mm. I am pretty good at. Nice. I like to surf a bunch. And two years ago, I made myself a hollow cedar wooden surfboard, Whoa. Uh, which surfs great, surprisingly, because it was my first try. Yeah. Had, um, you, had you built anything before that? I had done some half-hearted attempts at wooden spoons and paddles, <laughs> <laughs> but nothing that ambitious. Wow. Um, so yeah, a lot of outdoorsy stuff. I'm also um, teaching myself the fiddle right now, which sounds completely terrible. 
Um, <laughs> and I can currently sort of screech my way through five or six old time fiddle tunes. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And I'm making friends with the cat and our neighbors. Yeah. Yay. They love that I've picked Everyone's this favorite person right now. <laughs> yeah. Where where do you live? Uh, I live in Waldeboro, which is up near Camden, Maine. Okay. Yeah, so near the coast. How far is that from Lewiston? It's way too far. I don't know if I can <laughs> say this. Way too <laughs> My far. deep dark sustainability secret is that I, I commute a long ways to debates i'm telling i know yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna lose all my street cred with the e-corrupts seriously i know oh, that's great um so there's research that shows that young people are increasingly looking to work as a source of meaning in their lives how do you think that bait students should start preparing to find meaning in today's world yeah that's a great question i think the good news is that in my relatively brief working career. It does seem like better jobs, jobs with meaning, are increasing in number. For example, sustainability. So when I was going to college, my job in no way existed at all. Mm -hmm. And this particular job is really increasing exponentially as I feel like the world realizes that we can't just trash everything for profit. Do you, do you think the world is realizing that? Oh, that's another. <laughs> that's a topic for another podcast. I okay, think. fair enough. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do actually. Yeah. Um, wow. Now, the speed at which we're, we're responding to that imperative is in question. But I think the average global citizen sees that super clearly. In contrast to when I was going to college, I think Bates does a really nice job of actually incorporating into their teaching real world stuff. And I think they do a good job of making things not just theoretical, but actually looking at ways to go out into the community and start sort of practicing what you preach, ways to find solutions to the problems that we see in the world. So it's good to see. I think it's a departure from at least when I went to school. It was very theoretical. Mm -hmm. And I was always wondering, what does this have to do with the real world? So I I think they do a nice job with that. That's so interesting to hear because I was having a discussion with a friend the other day who was talking about how there's a lot of ways for Bates students to apply meaningful work in the community, but that they feel like for certain majors, like for economics majors, Mm -hmm. that there really isn't uh, an avenue for them to do that or that students really wouldn't want to engage that way, which is really interesting to think about. Yeah. I mean, I think one of my roles at the college is to kind of help with that. So I, you know, I work on broader sustainability for the college, but I also, probably my favorite part is working with the students and having them work on tangible solutions to the problems that they're learning about in class. So for example, the ecoreps, what I have them work on is everything that they would have to do if they had my job. So none of it is busy work stuff. It's all, if you wanted to go out and do this, you're getting paid to train basically <laughs> in the realm of sustainability mm-hmm. solutions. So yeah, I, I, I kind of hear that loud and clear. It's a, it's a hard thing to do because there's a lot of training involved and that sort of thing, but the end result is so great and totally worth it. Yeah, absolutely. So Tom, what gives you meaning? Yeah, so I think leaving the world in a better place than I found it, I think, is probably my goal, both in terms of my work with sustainability, basically making the biggest positive impact that my life allows, and also 
sort of th through meditation and that sort of thing and just the impact that I have in, in meeting with people and interacting with them and that sort of thing. Just hopefully moving in the direction of leaving things better than I found them. Cool. Um, I know you sustained a concussion at some point last year. Is that true? I don't remember that at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that whole memory thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So I was driving to work and someone crossed over the center lane and I hit my, uh, my poor little diesel Jetta. And yeah, it was a pretty, pretty serious accident. I was pretty banged up for a while. I had a concussion and it was a really interesting experience. I was pretty much in bed for like two weeks, just sort of recovering. And my brain was definitely different, physiologically different. For example, I was just laying in bed, staring at the ceiling for the whole day, completely not bored at all, sitting there and looking at the ceiling. I mean, it was, it was really, really interesting. And I remember when I, when I finally went back to driving to work, I had no desire to turn on the radio, listen mm -hmm. to a podcast or like distract myself at all. It was really strange. It kind of felt like my mind had been wiped. Whoa. Yeah. And um, it was kind of cool, actually, in a way. <laughs> That's a positive spin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was really, it was really interesting. Unfortunately, I still have some symptoms, especially like with mm. short-term recall and things like that, but it seems to be getting better and I'm mostly back to yeah. normal. Was your spiritual practice in any way affected by that? That actually really helped. So again, uh, you just, I was just sort of lying in bed and my whole body was like banged up and um, I was in some pain. And it was like all my sort of meditation training like kicked in and I was like, well, I could even either try to like run away from being uncomfortable all the time and in pain, or I could just let it in. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I did, it was fine. Things still hurt, but it ceased to be like a real problem or suffering or it's just what it was. So it was okay. And I, there's no way I would have been able to do that if I hadn't had some sort of like meditation practice. And I was, I remember thinking like, oh, this is actually working. Great. <laughs> so like, progress. Mar marvelous. That's really crazy. Yeah. Do you still practice Catholicism at all? How has that intersected with your experience in the monastery and your meditation practice? Yeah. Great question. So the other day, my grandmother asked me if I missed being a Catholic <laughs> and I said, actually, I feel like I'm a better Catholic now than I was before wow. um, from a, like a more fundamental level. It just feels like I'm just generally not such a bastard. <laughs> is, is that what being a good Catholic means to you? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. It's in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone just gave me a book on uh, Sufism, Conference of the Birds. It's cool. Really neat book. And what I feel is neat is that a lot of these major religions have some level of contemplative practice or meditation or something like that. And to me, it feels like convergent evolution a little bit. Um, why do dolphins and fish <laughs> kind of like look the same? Like, because it works, Yeah. you know? And I love these like similarities amongst the different religions. Like, I think it's, it's not an accident and it's just kind of cool. Well, to tie it all together, I know you've talked about this a little bit, but is what about sustainability work gives you hope for the future? Yeah. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is the students are great. Yeah. And they are so into it. And that makes me really happy. And so like, by default, I am similarly inspired. Mm. So I love working with the students. 
on sustainability work, but not to just pin all our hopes on the students, because I that's something that rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Um, and I might even be sort of paraphrasing Greta Thunberg when yeah. she's like, stop laying everything on our generation. Right. Why don't you guys go do something yourself? Mm-hmm. And that being said, I think there's huge momentum right now. Everywhere I look, people are talking about sustainability. It's certainly blossoming. Um, I just went to a um, a mini conference about legislation that has come down in the state of Maine oh, wow. um, just in the last several months or so. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's just exponentially growing, uh, the sustainability movement. So that just seeing that happen, you listen to the news now and it's everywhere. Whereas even two years ago, you'd be lucky if you like heard a story on climate change and that sort of thing. So yeah. do you think I, we're too late? That's a good question. I don't know. I've seen some graphs uh, <laughs> yeah, graphs are so interesting to talk about during a podcast, right? Um, I've seen this graph that you guys can't see. <laughs> so I've seen some graphs about how fast we need to make our reductions globally yeah. in order to keep the temperature rise below 1.5 degrees Celsius. People agree that's kind of like the tipping point and what we need to keep the planet mm-hmm. to a habitable temperature. And it's swift. It is like a seriously big drop in our greenhouse gas emissions. So I don't doubt that we're going to do it. I I wonder about the timing of it. Yeah. Um, I'm not super put off by that, though, because if we haven't passed the tipping point yet, then we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. And if we have, then we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> and the work is actually pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Moving away, f- away from fossil fuels, already planning for resilience and stuff like that around sea level rise and things like that. So it's all the same stuff. We got to do it either way. And one of the reasons that it's important to do it fast is even if we've passed this particular tipping point, some scientists have suggested that there, there might be like multiple tipping points that are hidden. So, okay, maybe we're locked in for X degrees of temperature rise. But if we stop early, we get, you know, maybe two degrees, not like eight degrees, which no one actually knows what that would look like. So I think I'm not super put off by it. It just means get to work. Yeah. Well, it's good that we have you. Oh, thanks. Well, likewise. (laughs) (laughs) Tom Twist, thank you so much for being vulnerable with us today. Oh, you're welcome. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, Yeah, it was great. Thanks for asking me questions. (laughs) Thanks for answering them. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you to Colin Kelly and the Bates Digital Media Studio. The Multifaith Fellows, Multifaith Chaplain Brittany Longstorff, and Tom Twist for sharing his story with us. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us next time. <laughs>